Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, we're so glad that you're joining us here today. I want to say hello to everyone in Bowmanville and Port Perry and anyone watching online. So glad that you're with us. Sometimes we think we're walking in the right direction and we find out despite all we did and all the hard work we've put into it, we do not end up where we thought we would. Much of this time this happens slowly, drifting, unaware. There was a very famous English explorer named William Edward Perry who took his crew to the Arctic Ocean to chart it. They wanted to go farther north to continue their charting, so they calculated their location by the stars and started a very difficult and treacherous march north. Hour upon hour upon hour they walked, and finally, totally exhausted, they stopped, taking their bearings from the stars again to their shock, to their horror, to their, well, brokenness, they discovered they were now farther south than where they had begun. What they did not realize was that they were walking on an ice floe that was moving faster south as they were walking north. Discouraging, unexpected. But that image is incredibly helpful for us today when it comes to us evaluating what we actually do for God. In all my doing, in all my serving, where am I really going? Am I drifting south or moving north? What is moving me? What is moving me towards or away from Jesus? How do we take stock? How do we even evaluate this? How do we really know if our serving is actually making difference? Two weeks ago, we started our new ministry year together. We were crystal clear and unashamed about our God-given vision Last week we gathered again and we were once again crystal clear about our mission, why we exist, what does a fully devoted follower of Jesus look like? And then we took a very practical moment in our services to do a personal discipleship assessment to really see each one of us where we really are in our shape with God. And I just want to stop as I get going today and thank you for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you that not only filled them out but gave them in. You'll see why it matters by the end of this message. Well, this week I want to focus in on only one of the five discipleship dimensions. I want to focus in on share the work. Now, most of us would use another word for share the work, at least within the West, if you speak English. It is the word volunteering. Now, the history of the word volunteering and its meaning uh, actually really matter more than we think beyond face value. I found out that the word volunteering is a new word. It was only being used normally in everyday conversations, at least within Western culture, around the 1850s. Why? Well, that's the era when all sorts of social clubs and nonprofits and religious off, uh, organizations took off. Why? Well, because a middle class emerged for the first time and people had spare time so they could be volunteers. Well, why didn't volunteerism as an idea exist before? Well, before you worked and you died. They would ask you 300 years ago, what is this spare time you are speaking of? Now, the word volunteer actually was a military term originally. It comes from France. It was only written down for the first time in 1755, and this is what the definition was. One who offers himself for military service. From there, the word evolved to become an idea where we give our time or our money to a cause that we are, paid, we are not paid to do. More than that, in most cases, volunteering is what you do with your leftover time, not your family time or your job time. It's an add-on. It's beyond regular life. It's above and beyond the thing that you do. And this is crucial. You make a choice whether you do it or not. 
You choose to be a volunteer or you choose not to be a volunteer. You have seasons where you do or you do not volunteer. And where you volunteer, if you choose to do so, is based on what you value, what you're into, what you like, or what cause matters to you in that moment or in that season. Volunteering is what we do with our leftover time to make a positive difference in my life or or a family's life or a community's life. But when you talk to people who volunteer and listen to why they do it, people are motivated to volunteer for a thousand reasons. Some of us do it because of pain and we don't want someone else to experience the pain we've experienced. Some of us are very political and our volunteerism is going towards the right or the left or the green or the whatever. Some of us are motivated by greed. We want to build up our self-image. We volunteer and do these great things, but it's really for us. Some of us do it out of kindness. Some of us are determined to make the world a better place, so it's about justice for us. Now, like all nonprofits, volunteering is not optional, but essential for the survival of this church and every church. As one simply wrote, a church not making good use of volunteers is a church destined for mediocrity. To try to operate without the assistance of volunteers is a suicide mission for any church staff. Yes, that's reality. We all know that. Of course, there's never enough volunteers, even in a growing church like ours. But see, that's not the conversation we're even going to have today. The very word volunteer is the problem. When we say the word, we think about things and we don't actually evaluate it. See, the idea of volunteering sometimes undoes and, and attacks the underpinnings, the DNA of Christianity itself. You're saying, John, are you getting up there and saying volunteering might not be biblical? Actually, that's exactly where I'm heading. When we serve, what's our starting point? Are volunteers just things, people that do things, or is it something else? Do we as Christians have a choice? Is this something we do with our precious spare time only? Is this about us? Is this about the people we serve? Wonder if there's no benefit to me. Wonder if the cause doesn't check all the boxes this week. Should I stop volunteering? Maybe volunteerism isn't right, or maybe it's sort of right, but it's incomplete. See, that's it. One of my earliest memories as a child was being in kindergarten and making pizza. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we took English muffins. I have this vivid memory, and we cut them in half with a knife. Great teacher. Anyway, cut them in half with a knife, and then put ketchup on the English muffin, and then got the really awful cheese no one should eat, because it kills us, and put it on. And I remember cutting a small piece of pepperoni, thinking this was the most awesome thing ever, and putting it on, and putting it in an oven, eating, and saying to myself, school is awesome. We will have pizza every day for the rest of our lives. Lies, all lies. Now, I've grown up and realized there is better pizza than that. I have discovered Chicago pizza. I've discovered wood-fired pizza. I've even discovered pineapple and pizza. All things are possible in Jesus' name. Now, (laughs) my point is this. Many of us as good, sincere, serving, volunteer-like Christians have settled for the English muffin pizza and have actually missed the great invitation to something so much better. So to get this, to understand literally how to change how we think about serving as Christians, we must not begin with a crisis or serving or growth. No, we have to start at the beginning. You have to start with the gospel. You have to start with the good news and the bad news. Paul wrote these very profound, life-changing, offensive words in Ephesians 2.1. As for you, he writes, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. 
Paul says, oh, the trouble with human beings is we're not just out of harmony. We're not just having a bad day. We're not just not mindful enough. It's not like we have a spiritual cold or even that we're sort of in the hospital spiritually for the rest of our lives. No, no, he says every human being on earth is dead spiritually. The morgue and the funeral home is our real home. All human beings, no matter religious or not, are spiritually lifeless and motionless, top to bottom. Everyone is dead, no exceptions. This is universal, utter, total, and conclusive. When we go, hold on, hold on, hold on. When I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't dead. And I hang around with lots of nice people who aren't Christians, and they're not dead. How can this be? And Paul says, oh, you're missing the point. You have no ability in your own self, which has died spiritually post-fall, to see God, find God, access God, walk with God. There is no door opening. We're all separated from God, Paul says. And not only that, he says, we're not only separated, but our lives are marked with transgression or sin. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have fallen out of the glory of God. All of us have slipped and we've fallen and we cannot get up spiritually. All of us in thought, word, and deed, hundreds, thousands, millions of times over, have deliberately violated God's DNA, his will, and his law. We have trespassed to places he has told us we're not allowed to go. We have spiritual debts we cannot repay. Or as another simply wrote, sin is the act of choosing our own way and leaving God out of the picture. Go in peace. Have a great day. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Oh, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom there, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That phrase, the world, by the way, really matters. It's used 186 times in the New Testament. Almost every example is negative, not positive. It's where we get the word worldliness from. It is how human society functions when we do not obey God. And it takes all sorts of forms. Uh, secularism, I do not need God, God does not exist, or God does exist, but I will live my life like he does not exist. Amorality, there is no absolute truth, there is no standard of truth, I make up truth, I am the determiner by my experience of what is true and not true. Materialism, what I buy is what I am, what I buy and what I have will give me purpose. One of the worst forms of worldliness is religion and spirituality. I am saved and I will have purpose by what I do spiritually or what I do for God. If I'm mindful enough, if I go to yoga enough, if if I go to church two times a week, if I pray five times a day, if I give, all my religious action will quantify and cover the bad stuff and the scale will get better, not worse. See, here's the thing that we've got to recover. Secularism, amoralism, materialism, and religion are all the same. We are at the center of each one of those and God is nowhere to be found. Know it or not, we're all sinful, Paul says, and we're worldly, and if it's not bad enough, he says, oh, by the way, and you're all owned by the devil. Have a great day. Really? He says, oh, yes, there is a spirit, whether you know he exists or not, who owns this world. This is how he talks about him in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel who displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He keeps going with the bad news in Ephesians 2.3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest of us, we, by nature, were deserving of God's personal wrath. All of us, Jews, non-Jews, religious, secular, pagan, spiritual, fill in the blank, agnostic, atheist, all of us are in the same boat. Sin is the great leveler. But Paul says we're not just done there. Grace is the great rebuilder. 
After he paints this very difficult picture, then he gets to the good news that distinguishes Christianity from everything else. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is never from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. No self-effort, no merit, no reliance on me or any other crutch, secular, spiritual, or religious. This salvation deal is 100% God, and it's because he loves us. As one famed Catholic theologian said, sinners stand with their hands entirely empty empty. And what does God do when we stand empty? God comes because he loves us and he gives us all we need. He calls us. He makes us alive. He gives us the ability to see Jesus. He actually calls us out of the casket. He takes our grave clothes off. He moves Satan, who's the guard, away from death and says, death actually doesn't win anymore. And then he looks at us and says, will you just say yes? And of course, if he's brought you back to life, you will say yes, because in that moment, you've come to life in the most profound way. That's what we call faith. I rely upon, I trust, I have informed opinions, I place my complete confidence in Jesus. Everything I know about this life, what happens at my death, and after this death depends on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it means to believe. I am weak, I am unwilling, I am, I am unable, I am dead, and God walks in through Jesus and says, that is done, I'm going to set you free. Oh, there should be more than two amens at that moment. And then... After all of that, then Paul says, now we're going to talk about volunteering. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are his, in Greek this reads, we are literally God's personal poem. We are God's second creation and it is very good. We are called not just to know God, but to walk with God and work for God. We are saved to serve. Works never save you, but serving is a sign that you are saved. When you know what you've been saved from, when you really believe you were under God's wrath, when you really believe you're owned by the devil, when you really believe you couldn't find him, when you really believe that death actually had the final say and Jesus walks in, when you know the height and the depth and the love and the profundity of God, oh, then serving gets into focus so quickly. And we realize that we are not called to be some form of modern volunteers. We're not volunteers at all. We are servants owned by love, raised to life to change the world. That is the difference between drifting and walking. That's the difference between the modern idea of I volunteer if I feel like it and other-centered worship, other-centered sacrificial service. One of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, wrote this near the end of his life. 1 Peter 2.16, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Oh, make no mistake, he agrees with Paul. If you're a Christian today, you are free. You're free from guilt, and you're free from sin, and you're free from Satan, and you're free from death, and Jesus has paid it all, but he also is our king. Live as servants of God. I've preached this before. In the original Greek, this reads like this. You are a slave of God. Now, if you are a Christian here today, slavery is not optional. It is what you are. It's not a legal thing. It's an experiential thing. Are you starting to see the difference between volunteerism and slavery? Loved to be loving, volunteer to get if I feel like it, serving because someone actually owns my life and it's not me. See, the words of Jesus about discipleship only make sense when you've experienced the love of God and your identity has been formed in a place that is not natural. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Oh, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
The phrase, my yoke, is that key phrase, right? The Lord did not say, come to me and I'm going to remove all yokes. A yoke is what animals have on them to be led. Jesus promises rest, rest for the deepest part of us, our souls. And by the way, Jesus doesn't lie. He can't lie. This is true. But he says, if you won't take my yoke, you'll still be yoked by the things that actually I've saved you from. Lost dreams, sin, broken relationships, dead religion, lies, death. The lie that we are independent is just that. It's a lie. We will always serve something or somebody. So it's better to be owned by someone who loves us all the time than even trying to lead ourselves because we are not good masters of ourselves. To find rest means to say yes to Jesus' yoke, which means to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the lifelong process of becoming like him. And I love what one pastor said when he simply said, what makes the difference about the yoke is the master you get to serve. The beneficial effect of Jesus' yoke derives from the character of Jesus himself. So to get where we all want to go, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, to even serve as a Christian, it starts with this, knowing God uncreated, holy, loving, reaching out, encountering. It comes from knowing what he's really saved us from and what he's doing in our life right now and what he will do for us. Then, only then, do you begin to even comprehend the idea that maybe we should move from this volunteer mentality to something so much more. Volunteers choose what they want to do, when they do it, and even the level of sacrifice. Slaves don't have rights. They have no say in the conversation. They never are a volunteer. This totally affects our worldview. Now, why in the world would we latch on to such a terrible image of slavery, at least in the modern mind? Oh, here's the reason why. Because Jesus, our master, is always good and always kind and always loving and always life-giving and always right and never manipulative and never abusive. Psalm 23, the Lord leads me. That's, that's this idea of him taking a sheep and saying, you're not going that way, you're coming this way, and I'm going to lay you down in green pastures. This is the freedom that the world is missing. We think that we find freedom when we run our own lives. No, freedom is found when you say Jesus is a better master because he leads us into life and truth and hope, and he's beautiful. He's beautiful. That's why when you understand the love of God and you understand the power of God and you understand the hope of God, then we live our life differently than our neighbors. Why? Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart as working for Jesus. Not for people, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from Jesus as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You stay at home, mom and dad, it's hard raising kids. But if you do it for Jesus, you will be rewarded. Are you a lawyer, a nurse, a communications director, a banker, a plumber? It doesn't matter. We work not for our bosses in the end or our families. We work for Jesus. Why? Because he is a good master and he will give us a good reward and he does not lie. And what's ironic, which we miss as modern people, is this. Slaves don't get inheritances. And yet, what does it say in the scriptures? The slaves who are mocked in this world will get the largest inheritance in the world to come. So when you know God's love and his grace and his goodness and his kindness and his intervention and his leadership, and then you are promised also that he will reward you in the future. Then does it start becoming clear to us that actually we don't just know this when we begin to experience this. Then we might actually start bringing our best uh, to God and actually abandon the idea of volunteering. My best money, of course. 
My best time, of course. My best gifts, of course. See, this is what has always been with God's people. God loves you first, then gives you a new identity, and then asks you to serve. In that order, if you miss that order, you will always end up religious in duty, and there will be no joy in your life at all. Listen to the words of Moses as as the people are going to enter into the promised land, and the idea of tithing came up for the first time, giving 10% of your income to God. Talk about a radical notion in the 21st century. Deuteronomy 26.1, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you've taken possession of it, and you've settled it, take some of the first fruits of all that you have produced from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Notice the pattern. When you know who God is, and you know his love, and God's promises are now real in front of you, then bring the first 10% of you what you make and give it to God joyfully. And then notice what he says next. It is critical. Before you give, before you serve, before you sacrifice, before you choose to do the opposite of hoarding, before you do the opposite of fear-based living, then you are commanded by God to repeat his love for you so you will remember why you're doing it in the first place. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. This is the Jewish expression. My father Jacob was a wanderer. He went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there, and we became a great nation, powerful and numerous. The Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjugating us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, our toil, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given to me. See, here's what the pattern is that even we who follow Christ have missed. The ongoing remembering of the love of God moves us to see God, fear God, be thankful to God. And we, of course, when we know what he has done, we will give our best and our brightest. It will give all without hesitation. How could we not give back to such a good God who's loved us first? See, there's no call here for us to become volunteers. The call here, why are we having this conversation? Because this series is about discipleship, and our call, the reason why we exist, is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. In other words, our goal, if you are a Christian today, is to become like Jesus, to know his love, to live under his example, and know he will reward us. But what's amazing about Jesus is he's not just our Savior, he's not just our Lord, he's our literal model. Jesus exemplified perfect obedience and slavery to the Father. I do nothing, he said in the book of John. I do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. I, what did he say in Gethsemane? Not my will, but your will be done. Why did he do this? Because he was showing us the way of power and love. One of the greatest verses in the whole Bible that all sorts of people, even non-Christians, love about Jesus is Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we are not just loved by him, and led by him, and becoming like him, but we also are not left alone. So many of us, when we try serving, end up crashing because we forget that we are called to use a power that is not our own. That is why when we have crafted this discipleship experience, these five discipleship dimensions, and we talk about this, we remind all of us where the power source comes from, Here's what we say right in our book is we believe that God has uniquely given every Christian spiritual gifts that help advance the kingdom of God. And spiritual gifts are the only ongoing place of power to serve from. 
So not only do we get God's love, and not only do we know his will, and not only do we get to be led right under his lordship, but we also get his power. Now, why does this matter? (laughs) Now, in every generation of Christians, anywhere on earth, at any time, we are called to exemplify and look more like Jesus over a lifetime. Amen to that. But deeper than that, in this season that we are at, as a church, this is more crucial than it has ever been before. I love what one of my fellow pastors in Canada put on social media a few weeks ago. He said, an army of people satisfied with their Sunday morning experience will not help us in this new Canada. What we need are people whose calendars, priorities, life goals, and wallets testify that they are Jesus-centered and they are others-oriented. Wow. Is volunteering wrong? No. But volunteerism for Christian isn't what we think it is. Our understanding of what we're really doing matters and why we're doing it matters and whose name we're doing and whose power. See, don't misunderstand this. Today is not some rebuke by one of the lead pastors doing this. No, this is an invitation in. We're not calling you out, we're calling you in. This is about finding Jesus, being more like Jesus, walking with Jesus. This is a guaranteed place of power. The more we serve, the more we find Jesus. The more we serve, the more we look like Jesus. And this isn't just about us making this personal decision, nor is it just us now serving, mutually serving each other, the over 3,000 people that now come to this church. Oh my goodness. This is while we're learning to serve each other at the same time we as a whole family preparing for the thousands of more that God has assigned to this church and are on their way. Now this has been enforced to me two or three ways this week alone. Let me take a few minutes to explain First, last week, as I mentioned, we did our self-assessment, and we came back, and hundreds and hundreds of you gave them in, and it was very insightful. We as a church family really gave us a sense of where our shape is at, and, and guess what? Share the work as one of the discipleship dimensions was the second lowest discipleship dimension across our whole church, and here's the facts. Over 3,000 people come to this church, 2,200 of us are over 18, and 845 of us regularly serve over 18 in this church. That gap, we have self-confessed it, is actually not only not right, it's deeper than that. We have a discipleship problem in this church when it comes to sharing the work. Now there's more than this. While we're preparing and wrestling this through, God is still moving And people are still showing up. Let me give you an example. A woman walks into our church within the last little while. She is not from our faith. She's from another faith. She's experiencing supernatural things she cannot deal with connected to her family. She walks in and says these words, I need to know if you have a greater power in your life than what I have. Do you have it? We say, she literally walks off the street. We say, yes, his name is Jesus. She says, I want whatever that is. She converts, she's saved, she went through releasing prayer this week, and she's praying for her family to come to faith. She literally walked in off the street and converted to our faith from another faith. Zachariah is literally happening in this church. So we've got thousands of people coming, praise God. We've got to share the work problem, and it's not just a volunteer crisis. We actually have a discipleship issue. God keeps sending all these new babies to us. Oh, and in the middle of this, someone this week in our community has a profound encounter with Jesus. Incredibly hesitantly, they came to some of the pastors and said, look, 
I had an encounter during my walk with Jesus moment this week, and I was given a word for the church, and I don't know if it was the tacos or the butter chicken or the devil or Jesus, could you help me out? We met together, we prayed as a pastoral staff, and it is a word. And listen, I need you to know this. The person was not here two weeks ago when I preached on the promises of God. They have not heard the message. So I want you to get in a posture, wherever you might be, at any site, and I want you to hear this. This is a prophecy, small p, word, for our church. Here's what the person was given. And this is what was written down. I got him here, C4. Listen, I am going to do great things among you. I am afoot. My kingdom is drawing close. You tell those people around you, my love for people cannot be held back. I am coming close. Yes, I'm coming close. There will be great change at C4, but I will be there. I am doing this new thing. My mighty kingdom is approaching. You worship me and you come close to me. Oh, how I love you, C4. Oh, I am doing this. I am doing something. I am drawing close. Great hope will come. Great joy will be found. People will be saved. Wow. My mighty kingdom finds a home here. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the mighty one. I am afoot. Come to me, he's saying to the church. Worship me. Much is now about to happen. This is a message for the church. I am coming close. I am going to do this new thing. And here's the phrase. The power of God cannot be contained. I will overflow into the streets and into this region. Praise me and worship me. I, your great king, I have come to unite you with me. Amen. So thousands are coming, people are being baptized, people are converting from other faiths, God is answering our prayers, he is sovereignly deciding to bring revival because he's just a good father and dad who wants to do this. So the question is at this moment, as a whole family, how do we respond? We've got preaching and prompting and planning and preparing, so now let's have the watershed moment as a family. Ushers, if you could please stand and start passing out the discipleship books, and if you could do that as quick as possible, that would be great. Last week... Uh, we handed these out for the first time. Some of you brought them back, and thank you for doing that. Many of you forgot them. It's okay. Some of you weren't here. And this little book is a summary of discipleship, and this is how we are going to practically respond. So I'm going to take a moment as we are handing these out across all our sites. We're going to have this very uncomfortable Canadian moment in silence. No one's, not, you know, it's, gonna, it's okay. It's okay. And we're just going to pass these out, and then we're going to talk together as a family. All right. Now, I'd like everyone uh, to open your books. By the way, if you're watching online, it's on our app. You can download the book and follow along there. So if you would open to the first two pages, and we'll just do a little summary. And by the way, this, I'm going to help uh, us understand this. So on the second page, you have the promises to C4. And, and what, we, what we see here is sort of what God has promised uniquely to do within this church community in our region. And if you weren't here for that message two weeks ago, go back and listen to it. But we are giving this physically to you for you to tear it out and start praying back the promises of God every single day and every single week as part of your devotional rhythm. If you turn to the next two pages, this is what hundreds and hundreds of us filled out last week. We've got our five discipleship dimensions, and we've got the self-assessment. Now, some of you weren't here, and you can actually do this. I'm going to give you an opportunity to fill this out again. You're at the center. There's the five dimensions. The better you're doing at one dimension, the farther out you should mark it. The more struggling you are or worse you're doing, the closer should be. And what we'd love you to do today is if you could fill that out in a moment,
and then you could actually choose on this page to write the top two you're going to start growing in, but you can give these assessments back to us that still be helpful as you leave today and any of our lobbies in one of those boxes. But the real critical thing is the following page, if you could turn the next two pages. And this is the share the work page. Now, number one, let me speak to the many of you that are serving you are regularly making this a priority in your discipleship. So I just want to say something to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your love towards us as a church, this region, and the world. Jesus knows what you're doing. He's going to reward you whether it's public or not. And I want to encourage you to keep going. Others of you do serve here, but your rotation is once or twice a year, or maybe one or six, one of eight, one of ten. And I really want to take this moment to encourage you to seriously consider growing in your serving way more than you have been doing historically. Yet the truth is 60% of us, at least of adults, do not regularly serve at all within the scope or influence of this church in any formal way. And this needs to change today. A, because of our discipleship, because this is how we become more like Jesus. B, because we have to mutually love one another and thousands of people are here. And number three, thousands are about to come that we need to be prepared for. And so what I'm going to do is I'd like you to take a look at this list. Uh, this is just some options. See for kids, set up and tear down if you're in Bowmanville or in Port Perry. Hospitality, youth, production, prayer, facilities, our local partnerships, our global partnerships, young adults, uh, care ministry, musicians, special teams, communications. There are other things, connect groups, alpha as an example, freedom sessions that you can write. But I'm going to ask every single person within the sound of my voice to take a moment. We're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak and to lead us and we need to have a very significant change in our church where this no longer is the second lowest discipleship dimension, but there's a 180 degree. And I'm going to give you a moment with your pens to mark down one or two places that you actually really want to grow. So could we just posture ourselves for a moment to pray? Take a moment of quiet. I'm going to pray for us in this moment. This is about discipleship. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. So Lord, thank you, number one, that you've loved us. Thank you, number two, you've given us a new identity. Thank you, God, through Jesus, you've demonstrated the power and the beauty of serving. Thank you that you served even when it wasn't beautiful or, or in the front. Just thank you, you demonstrated this. I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, for you to descend and come and speak to every one of us and show us where we're to continue to serve, to serve for the first time. Would you literally speak to individuals at this moment? For those who've served before and it was a painful experience or they got burned, I pray you'd heal them of that so they can become more like Christ like this again. So we just, we welcome you into this space to speak to us. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. So uh, take your pen, mark one or two areas. Please put your name, email, and phone number. We'll just take this moment and then we'll tell you at the end, the host at each site will tell you what you're supposed to do at the end of this. So would you just take a moment to do that now? Go. All right. I want to really thank you for doing that. And now what we'd like to do is end our service in a posture of thankfulness, but also uh, preparation. So if you could just hold out your books like this, and we're going to pray over the decisions we've made. Number one, thank you, God, that you in sovereignty have decided to come close to one of your churches 
we want to admit again, we reject the idea that we're a better church or a more spiritual church. Just thank you that you sovereignly do this. Thank you for your love, though, for all of us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your identity giving to us. And now in this moment, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us have just committed to take next steps to serve. And so we're praying, Holy Spirit, would you show up and give the needed gifts and the character and the power to do this? And we're praying that in a year from now, this church will be in a very different place when it comes to this discipleship dimension. May this church, Holy Spirit, make us generous, make us unselfish, make us servants. And we are thankful that we get to do this with each other, but also we now in faith are doing this because we know thousands of more, thousands more are about to be assigned to us. And we're incredibly thankful. So we just seal this to you and pray that you'd begin to work this out. We pray this in the name of the Father who called us, in the name of Jesus who died for us, lived for us, died for us, rose from us, prays for us, the name of the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to be like Jesus and will give us the power to serve beyond our own issues. Come Holy Spirit, make us people that are different. And all of God's people said, Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.